Yep, wonderful. Well, it's Resurrected Sunday. Resurrection Sunday. Um, Good Friday, we asked a question. I asked a question to the people. We explored questions that go along with this because every day we make decisions. Decisions, uh, some small, some big, some decisions are no-brainers. Some require a bit of thought, a bit of wisdom to, you know, really ask the question out of every decision we make, isn't it this, like, is it worth it if I make that decision? Um, so, you know, we looked at a number of decisions. Another decision, which um, I just had to make the other week when I went down to the conference is that QB offered some free tickets to SeaWorld. And my son being seven years old now, he, uh, he wanted to go on his first roller coaster. And uh, we got to SeaWorld and the little kids roller coaster, which really should be your first roller coaster that you go on, was, it was closed. And then the next level up, there's like a, I don't know, whether, like a 12-year-old one, I guess, you know, low teenagers. Um, that was closed as well. And so all that was left was two roller coasters, the adult ones, the Leviathan. But the one that interested him was the jet boat, the one where you get wet. I was asking myself with Kerry, Kerry was more concerned, saying, is it worth it to go for, for to expose Griff to this experience? Even though he wanted to do it, and but you know what kids are like, they don't really know what it's actually going to be like. And I've heard stories of kids fainting on a ride. They black out if it gets too much for them, too many Gs, but it can be good. So we're wondering, is it worth it? I decided to say yes. I wanted to say, I wanted to see how Griff was, how he went. And I couldn't help but buy that overpriced $25 photo at the end. This is what came out of it. And this to me explains why it was worth it. This is the look that I got on Griff when the photo goes through. Priceless. Priceless. Totally worth it. Now, I still don't know though in the end because next year when we go back, He's going, well, I'm going to see if he'll go on it again. Just to show that is the actual photo. This is us um, on with the others. And uh, you'll notice that we're holding hands. And that's a great story because I'm, I'm, I'm kind of anxious for him. And I'm saying, do you want to, at the start, do you want to hold hands? And he's, no, no, I want to hold him here. Um, and then we're going up. And then he brings his hand across. <laughs> he grabs mine. So we held it the whole time. Is it worth it? In all seriousness, on Good Friday, we explored this question. Is it worth being a Christian? And for those that are there, what I was trying to obviously say, that yes, yes. And you might be here this morning because, yes, it is worth it. But there was one area that I didn't cover. Because to a lot of people that we know out here, it's not worth it. It's not worth it because of this. This is a question that I think we should ask them, which I confess I don't ask enough when I'm leading someone to Christ. Are you willing 
to give up the pleasures of sin. For a lot of people, they're not willing. They're not willing. Now, our answer to this might just be straight away, duh, yes. And I know why. Because Paul says, no, we can't. It's impossible. I want to explore that a little bit further to further our understanding of why this is dangerous. It's actually dangerous to be a Christian, I say. It's dangerous in the sense that truth is, if you go ahead and you make that decision to believe that Jesus Christ died for your sin, and you are not willing to give up your sin, some will say, oh, then that person was never saved. And I think that's absolutely wrong. And today, I sh I'm aiming to share why that's wrong. But if you become a Christian, or someone you know become a Christian, and then they don't give up their sin straight away, then that person will be the most miserable son of a... Sorry, I can't say that from the pulpit at church. I'm not a church. I'm going to remind myself. But you will be the most miserable person here on earth. You will be miserable. And that's why it's dangerous. It's dangerous in the sense that your whole life will be full of misery, more than a non-believer out there. And today, I aim to share why, why that's the case. I've given the scripture up here in case you're not familiar with your Bibles. And the question is Romans 6, 1 to 2. Um, Paul writes, well then, should we keep on sinning so that God can show us more and more of his wonderful grace? Because we know grace is what forgives us of our sins. So someone might say, and everyone in this room, if you're a Christian, I'm sure you've come across it, then if the more I sin, then the more grace God gives me. And in reality, that's true. Grace will always outperform sin. As we sing the song, grace, grace, God's grace, greater than sin, greater then sin. God's grace always wins. You can't beat it. But then he says, of course not. Of course not. And then follows it with, since we have died to sin, how can we continue to live in it? Now, if you look at Romans chapter 6, you will see that Paul has no threats he gives no threats than saying, well, no, you weren't saved to begin with, if that's the case. No other threats of um, doubting your identity in Christ. He responds with this. Since we have died to sin, how can we continue to live in it? So if you want to know more about Romans 6, I'm actually going to do a study on it. This term in my small group on a Wednesday night here at the church. Welcome to join if you want. But to answer this question on why 
why we cannot, why Paul says we cannot. The title of my message this morning is called 10 Truths and a Dare. Now, has anyone read this book, by the way? 10 Truths and a Dare? Oh, that's good. Because I was hoping it doesn't just fill you in with any unnecessary thoughts, because I have no idea what this book is, and I didn't bother to do any research to see if it was a good book or a bad book. I'm not condoning the book in case someone's listening online and, and you have read it, but I just thought, hey, this title fits my message, and I'm going to steal it. 10 Truths and a Dare. I'm going to explore 10 truths today where the goal is you will grasp a further understanding of who you are in Christ and why you would be the most miserable person here on earth if you continue to not give up your sin. Number one, here's a truth that we all need to know about who we are in Christ. Your heart is not deceitful or wicked. Number one, your heart is not deceitful or wicked. And the reason people believe we have a sinful heart is because it says in the Bible, it says in Jeremiah 17 verse 9, it says the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? I take note that's in the Old Testament. However, we're told in the New Testament, oh, sorry, the Old Testament also here's as a prophecy in Ezekiel 36, 26. I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you. And then it actually goes on to say, I will take out that stony heart of yours and put in the new one. And so that's how you can reconcile those two passages of scripture. But there are a lot of Christians out there that still believe we have a wicked heart, a deceitful heart. But that's not the case. There's a title that God should have, and I believe the Bible authors missed it. Because God has many titles, right? Lord, Counselor, Prince of Peace, so on and so on. Saviour. Cardiologist is not one of them. But it should be. God is a cardiologist. He gives us spiritual heart transplants. He's given you, if you trust Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior this morning, he's given you a heart transplant. He's given you literally a new heart. And that new heart is no longer wicked. It's no longer deceitful. You can actually trust your heart. Why? Because it's new. New to the point where Paul describes it in Romans chapter 6 as an obedient heart. You read that with me? If you can. But thanks be to God. This is Romans 6, 17 to 18, if you're watching online. Though that you, who were once slaves of sin, you were a slave of sin, have become obedient from the heart to the standard of teaching to which you were committed and having been set free from sin have become slaves of righteousness. You're no longer a slave of sin. You're a new slave. You're a slave of righteousness. 
And what exactly, exactly does that mean? It means you can't escape it. You can't get out of it. Because you've been given a new heart, it's not like God's going to put back your stony heart in. He's not going to. So the, the term that we used in John chapter 3, Nicodemus is asking, how do I enter the kingdom of God? Jesus says, you must be born again. And so born again experience means that Christ, God, has pulled out your heart, or your old heart, your wicked heart, and given you a new one. You've been born again. You're a new person. You see the, the, the parallels. Do you think if I sin enough that Christ is going to, I don't know, kill me again and give me back my stony heart? Unborn me? No. And this is where a lot of people debate for some reason. For those who um, believe in that we can lose our salvation, it just doesn't make sense that we can lose our salvation. If you lose your salvation, it means that our performance, our behavior is determined on our salvation, not what Christ has done for us. So again, if you want to know more about that, come Wednesday nights. I'd love to teach you. Here's another one. Not just your heart, but your old sinful nature has been crucified. A lot of Christians think we still have a sinful nature. Why? Well, because we still sin. If we still sin, it means we must still have a sinful nature. And that's not the case at all. Galatians 2.20 says, I, my nature, myself, it has been crucified. My old self, my old heart, my old spirit, my old nature has been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live. If Paul's saying this, he's obviously living. He's not talking about his physical self. He's talking about himself spiritually, his nature. But Christ who lives in me and the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. As I said, the main reason we believe that we still have a sinful nature is because we wonder. That thought that comes into my mind about me wanting to sin, that temptation, I think, oh my goodness, who am I? Where's this coming from? Why am I thinking these wicked thoughts? And we need to know, based on Romans 6, it's not because those thoughts are coming from with me, from within me. Those thoughts are coming from the power and the force of sin. Sin still exists in this world. Only those thoughts will go away once we have our glorified bodies because our not mind has not been renewed yet. Now, as a result of these two truths, number one, you don't have a wicked heart. Number two, you don't have a sinful nature anymore. As a result, the rest of these seven truths feed off that truth. And you might be able to relate to some. And so I'll go through these um, more quickly as I went through the first two in case you're wondering. <laughs> Number three, you do not have to deny yourself anymore or die to self daily. You don't have to deny yourself anymore. You don't have to die to self anymore. 
And the reason we believe this, that we do, because you might be in this room saying, what? This is new to me. We get words from John the Baptist, for instance, where he says, oh, but he must increase so I can, de so I can decrease, so, but I must decrease. He says this in John chapter 3, verse 30, if you want to look it up yourself. Is he talking about himself? He's actually not. He's actually talking about his ministry. The ministry that he has been chosen to do in preparing the way for the Lord. That has to decrease. It's Christ's turn to turn up on the scene and show what the ministry is really all about, where it's not baptism by water, it's baptism by the Holy Spirit. And then this, this is New Testament with Paul writing himself. A lot of people find this confusing because of the translation that you're reading. I affirm by the boasting in you, which I have in Christ Jesus our Lord, I die daily. Well, there you go, Tim. Paul says it himself. He dies daily. That's found in First uh, Corinthians chapter 15, verse 31, by the way, if you want to have a look yourself. What do you, what do you say to that? Well, again, looking at translations, what he's saying is that I face death daily through my ministry, through what I'm doing. I face death on a daily basis, on a daily occurrence. And so that's really all he's saying in 1 Corinthians 15. You don't have to deny yourself. Why? Because, remember, you are a new person. You don't get in the way of God anymore. You can trust your heart. Going on to number four, this is hard to believe for some people. You are as righteous as Jesus. You are as righteous as Jesus. Why? How can I say that? Well, 2 Corinthians 5.21 says, For our sake, he made him to be sin, who knew no sin. Obviously, that's talking about Jesus Christ. So that in him, in Jesus, we might become, we would become, the righteousness of God. Why am I as righteous as Jesus? Because there's no degrees of righteousness. There's no levels of righteousness. You are either 100% righteous or you are 100% evil. 100% righteous or 0% righteous, if that struck a bit, was that a, a bit too strong? <gasps> we are the righteousness of Christ, of God. Why? Because of what Christ has done for us. It's only in Christ that we can be 100% righteous. So, we are as righteous as Jesus. Number five, when God looks at you, this is one we find hard to believe. When God looks at you, he likes what he sees. He likes what he sees. Regardless of how you're behaving, this is something we can't fathom very well. 
because no other relationship here on earth reflects this truth. <laughs> now, I wish it could be the case with our spouses or our children, but this is even hard for us as humans when we look at each other. But God, God, for some reason, my thing is not changing. It's changing on here, but not changing on there. Um, he likes what he sees. So here are the references while that's catching up. Um, what's his second Corinthians chapter two and verse 15. Second Corinthians chapter two, verse 15. I'll just, uh, I'll see if ending my slideshow is just keep it going online. Fixes it. But, uh, no. 2 Corinthians 2 verse 15 says, we are a fragrance. Uh, we are, a tra some translations say, we are an aroma, a sweet aroma, a sweet fragrance. God's perception of us. And there's no ifs or buts about it. It's just a truth. It's not, there's no conditions on it. It doesn't like God changes his perception of us through the through the the, the times that we um, live our life it stays the same and so um, it's just very interesting how we concoct things like this in in our um, in our heads secondly Secondly, what I'm doing, by the way, if you're listening online and you can't see this, is that I'm just going back to um, normal uh, HDMI connection. So please bear with me for a sec. This is um, when things I can't explain. I don't know why it happens with technology. Takes time to, oh, thanks, Pete. Thanks for that encouragement. Uh, if you ever need encouragement, just talk to Pete and um, and he'll be able to do that. <laughs> It's his gift. He's like a Barnabas. He actually should have been called Barnabas, not Peter. All right. Well. Number six, feel free to change it on there in case this doesn't work. There it is. There is nothing wrong with you. There is nothing wrong with you as a result. Okay? You might need to say that out loud. Say to the person next to you, there is nothing wrong with you. 
Um, take, for instance, Colossians 1.22. Once you were alienated from God. We were aliens from God. But now he has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death, crucifixion, and the resurrection. Now read that very carefully. To present you holy in his sight, without blemish. Your version might say blameless and free from accusation. Colossians 1.22. If you need to read that verse this week, because our behavior sometimes shouldn't reflect this. It should not reflect this, but it does. This does not change. Why? Because our salvation's got nothing to do with us. It's all with what Christ has done for us. It's our faith that makes us right with God, not our behavior. But remember, if I go and behave like I'm not a Christian, I'm going to be miserable. I am going to be miserable. Number seven, you can be yourself. This one's hard for church, isn't it? Depending on what church it is. But you can be yourself. We don't have to act like a Christian. We don't have to be careful or guarded against what we might say or what we might do or we shouldn't be. Sadly, because the church is the way it is, depending on what church you go to, very judgmental in the sense that we can't be ourselves. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 17, he who is joined to the Lord becomes one spirit with him. So there's a further understanding of what our heart means. We have been baptized by the spirit, meaning our new spirit is a mixture of us and Christ, any spirit. We don't lose our personality. We keep our personality. We still keep who we are. And therefore, you, you're a good person. You're good. And you can be yourself. You can be yourself. Number eight. Now, you are already Christ-like. This might confuse you because even I've said from the pulpit, and I continue to say it, the saying that goes, we are all made in the image of God, conforming into the image of Christ. But notice that word, conforming. Our goal here on earth is for our life, our behavior to reflect what's on the inside. If that's the case, if that's what happens, then we would have more joy. When God says, Jesus said, um, I have come that you may have joy and joy to the fullest, 
or another way he says it, that you may have life and an abundant life. Well, we can only have abundant life when we are doing what the Lord desires us to do. Otherwise, we'd be miserable. We can only have fullness of joy once we are doing what God wants us to do. But on the inside, you are still Christ-like because you are the righteousness of God. From God's perspective, you are Christ-like. Why do I say that? Well, 1 John 4, 17. Herein is love made perfect with us, that we may have boldness in the day of judgment. I prefer the word confidence on the day of judgment. We can all be confident on the day of judgment because as he is, or as Jesus is, even so are we, not in heaven, in this world. It goes back to us being just as righteous as Jesus. Because we are as righteous as Jesus, we are actually on the core, our innermost being, we are Christ-like. Because God has done that for us. We might not feel like it all the time. But we can be assured that's the truth. And usually we don't feel like it because we're doing something that's not what God wants us to do. Number nine, sinning is harder work than expressing Jesus. Sinning is harder for us than just displaying Jesus through our lives. The reason I say that is because Romans 6.23 says the wages of sin is death. We like to use this verse as an evangelistic verse, but I don't think it's intended to be that way. Because if we say the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord, that's a gift. But notice how it says wages, the wages of sin. What's a wage? Something that you do, earn it. Something that you do constantly to... And sadly, some Christians sin more than other Christians. But in the end, it all leads to death. So ourselves, if we go, if I go ahead and, and just sin this whole week out, I can assure you I will not die. But there are parts of my life that will probably die. For instance, my joy will definitely die. My marriage will probably definitely die. My relationships will definitely die. My job will probably die. Sin always leads to death in one way. It's bad. But sadly, there are times when we think we like it, but we actually don't because we're allergic to sin. Just say I'm allergic. Does anyone have any allergies in this room? I think I just found out that my nephew is allergic to kiwi fruit. Kiwi fruit. He can't have kiwi fruit. Because, I don't know, he gets spots, he blows up. Let's just say he, he, he does that. Now, but let's just say he loves kiwi fruit. He loves kiwi fruit. So he's going to disobey his parents. He's going to sneak in a few bites here and then. Is he going to blow up and, and, and all sores and, and, and inflamed? Yes. It's not good for him, but he still does it. And it's like us Christians with sin. We still do it, but we're allergic to it. 
you will be miserable. There will always be conflict inside. You will never have full joy because you're allergic to sin. And then number 10, everything you do, this is a great one. I'll finish off with this one. Everything you do can be worship. We read verses like Romans 12.1. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. And we think, oh, God really wants us to do it, so we should. But the way we should be reading this verse is that we actually get to do it. I can go to my job and worship God. I can just eat this meal as an act of worship. Because all worship is is an expression of love. And so through this, through Good Friday, this, this Easter weekend, I've been trying to have us as saints getting the strength. This is found in Ephesians 3, 18 to 19, for those who weren't here Friday, to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. So if you have any exposure to Pentecostal churches at the moment with being filled with the Spirit, read Ephesians chapter 3, verses 18 and 19, and you might gain a different perspective on what it actually means to be filled with the Spirit. Because it says it's right here. Knowing the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. You could say the fullness of the Spirit. There are some new people in this room, and I don't know who you are. Through these 10 truths, hopefully you have come to the conclusion that God loves you. God loves you regardless of what you've done in the past, regardless of what you're doing, what you might do this week. Even if you're not a Christian in this room yet, God still loves you. Why can I say that? Because he's provided a way for absolutely every single person, regardless of their history, regardless of their age, regardless of their um, race. That's, that's big today. Regardless of their sexuality. That's big today. Regardless of their gender. <laughs> he loves you because he's provided a way for you to be made right with him. It's available. Have you accepted his love, his free gift? Have you accepted it? Or have you come to the conclusion this morning that, oh, is that why I've been miserable lately? Do yourself a favor. Go home. If you're a child, ask your parents, have I been miserable lately? If you're uh, an adult and you have a spouse, ask your spouse, have I been miserable lately? How have you perceived me? And then maybe see if you can connect the dots. Is there conflict going into your life, going inside your world that only you know about? We can hide this very easily between each other something that only God knows what's going on. But there will be conflict if you decide to behave in a way that is contrary to what God, how God wants you to behave. 
And here's the dare. The dare is if you are if you are a local here, um, or if you are even um, visiting and and you're willing for me to get your email address. The, the, the dare is to make it a next step. And the next step is committing yourself to three weeks of church attendance here at Fraser Coast Baptist Church, just for three weeks, every single Sunday. If something comes up, you do all you can to come. Three weeks, I'm going through a series that goes through, well, this is great, but what's the application for us? And the application is fulfilling each purpose God has for us as individuals. God has a purpose for you. We know we're not made by accident, but it goes further than that. He has a plan for you. And in order for you, in order for him to fulfill your plan in your life, you have to be doing these five things. And so I'm going to spend three weeks to cover two each week. And I ask you for your commitment with that. If you believe God's spoken to you, please respond. I can't make you respond. But think, this resurrection that we're celebrating today, what's it worth? What's it for? Is it just for a ticket to heaven? I don't think so. Our Christianity is more than that. It's more than just a ticket to heaven. Hopefully those 10 truths have helped you discover that today. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you. Thank you for making us new. Thank you for sending your son to die on the cross and raising him up from the dead so that we could experience this newness ourselves, that we could have new bodies, new hearts, new hope, new purposes. Just ask for your blessing upon us and help us just through your spirit. Help us respond to whatever you've said to each and every one of us. I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.